This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. You are listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast, powered by Rotoviz Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the August 30th, 2017 edition of On the Daily, a Rotoviz podcast brought to you by MyBookie. I'm Heath Kruger. You can follow me on Twitter at HeathK. And my new co host is a familiar voice to you all. You can find him every week on the Rotoviz NASCAR edition of On the Daily, Numbers Game. He's the editor-in-chief over at Rotoviz. If you haven't heard of him by now, what are you doing? It's none other than Nick Giffen. Find him on Twitter, at Rotodoc. Nick, the season's finally here. How excited are you to finally get back into NFL DFS? Oh, my goodness. You have no idea. And uh, first, I'm just glad to be uh, doing the show with you. Last year, of course, I did it with Ben Gretsch, and now it's uh, your turn to do the show. So we're going to have a fun year. I just, I can't wait. But, like... Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. I've already entered my 150 lineups into the Millie Maker. This is going to be... (laughs) (laughs) I've already entered. I mean, I haven't set my lineups, but I've already at least entered my contests there. And uh, I've started setting a few lineups, you know, some pre pre-lineups just to kind of see where I'm at and so I'm I'm so stoked it's just going to be an awesome awesome year the sickness is real the sickness is real okay let's get into everything but before before that I want to remind everyone that you can get a listeners only 30% discount to a Rotoviz NFL pass through the NFL podcast homepage rotoviz.com slash podcast your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of our premium NFL content and it also supports the pod all right, Nick, it's been a long off season, but, you know, these stretches are just perfect opportunities to, you know, conduct research, um, evaluate your process, especially in DFS when it comes to lineup construction and just theory in general. You don't really have a lot of time midseason. You're just you're scrambling just to put forth all your lineups in time and trying to consider all the variables before the you know next week hits you and you got to do it all over again. So since the end of last season, have you really made any changes to your weekly process and any significant way or maybe even added another factor or two into your weekly considerations? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, there's definitely a lot of things I've done differently. Uh, I would even say towards the end of last season than the beginning of last season, but then also just in the off season, trying to find some new pieces of data, some new edges, uh, things like that. And so one of the things I've really looked at uh, is kind of just, you know, trends in the millionaire maker. I've just really drilled down into trends. If you're going to try to win a big GPP, Obviously, the biggest one of all is the Millionaire Maker. So I've tried to find some trends in the big GPPs. The other thing I'm doing is I'm going to be playing some more high stakes this year. Uh, I, I found I do a lot better in smaller slates or in higher stakes slates where it's not quite as obviously a huge field um, because it's a little bit easier to get a big score when it's either a short slate or a you know a short slate with only two or three games, and then also a big sl- a big slate but uh, higher stakes. There's less people that you have to beat. I found I did a lot better in those, and I think it's because uh, I have a very good blend of theory and uh, kind of an understanding of the the flow, the game flows, the things that can happen during a game. And so one of the things I've really been doing is I've been almost ignoring Vegas lines. That's one of the things I've kind of changed my process is not completely ignoring them, but for the most part, uh, I, I really only pay attention to Vegas lines in three situations these days. One is the tight end position, as we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, another one is with the defense and special teams. I'm just, yeah, I'm less paying attention to the Vegas line there and more trying to find out which games could potentially shoot out for, for certain reasons that we'll talk about. And then finally, the third thing I use ownership a lot for 
or sorry, the Vegas lines for, of course, I just slipped there is for ownership percentages. And so really just understanding theory. I think if you're a cash game player, Vegas lines are so much more important because that's what's going to happen on average. That's where, uh, you know, most of the things will happen. There's a distribution around the Vegas line. So if you, if you look at it and the, you know, the spread is zero, well, the standard deviation around that is actually almost 14 points, almost two touchdowns. So, uh, that's, that's a lot of, of point spread around the mean. And it's basically normally distributed with a standard deviation of 14. So, uh, you know, that means 68% of the time we're going to be within that plus or minus 14 point range of the spread. But there's still 32% of the time we're going to be more than two touchdowns away from the spread. So uh, that's where you kind of those tail ends are where you end up in the GPPs trying to figure that thing out. And then that bulk there in the middle, that's where you're going to end up in cash games. So it's really just trying to understand the distributions of, of outcomes and then really matching that up against ownership percentages. So my process, as far as my process, uh, I've started building lineups a lot sooner now just to get a, a really good feel of where I want to be. So I already started building lineups, as I mentioned, for week one. I just want to get a really good feel of where I want to be. And then um, I want to put into uh, you know, a lot of detail into every game that I break down. So Ben Gretsch is going to be doing a new article at Rotoviz that's going to break down every game. I'm going to be using that. I'm going to be using Evan Silva's article. I'm going to be using Air Yards. I'm going to be using all sorts of tools and our Rotoviz uh, projection machine to kind of do weekly projections there and figure out uh, you know the best plays, the plays I like the best, and then really just Kind of hammer that home. And the other thing, the other one thing that's really been on my mind this whole offseason is, God damn, I wish I had faded Tavon Austin last year. That you, that week he was 30% <laughs> owned and Kenny Britt went off because uh, that, that was, in hindsight, probably the most obvious play of the year. I love the idea of um, really starting early in the week and beginning to build your lineups before you really have essentially started consuming content, whether it be you know various articles podcasts and listening to others opinions kind of solidify what your initial thoughts are getting those lineups down on paper and then kind of making adjustments from there because ultimately in a gpp type format you want to be going for the novel lineups you do not want to be following the crowd when it comes to you know lineup construction as you know that's kind of it, it, it the point is to win a tournament the point is not to become you know you know in the 75th percentile you want to be in the 99th percentile i think that's a that's a fantastic idea um in in terms of like positions uh whether it be you know running back or quarterback at the flex position have you really kind of made any adjustments there yeah so uh the first position i've really made an adjustment i guess is the flex position and uh this is something i thought was really cool is a millionaire maker trend that i was i was looking at through last year and last year there were 16 winning Millionaire Maker lineups. There are only 15 slates. So there are 17 weeks. There was no Millionaire Maker in week 10 and no Millionaire Maker in week 16. So that, that would be 15. But there was actually a tie one week. So that gives us 16 winning Millionaire Maker lineups. And a really weird thing. I don't know if it's weird or if it's actually, you know, a, a trend that we need to, to look at there for the Millionaire Maker. But if we go through the flex position uh, for the Millionaire Maker winning lineups, Here's what we ended up finding out. So week one, the flex was the wide receiver position. Week two, the flex was the wide receiver position. Week three, we actually had the tie for the winning lineup. It was the wide receiver and the wide receiver position in the flex. Week four, wide receiver. Week five, wide receiver. You notice the trend there yet? I'm, I think I'm getting the trend. <laughs> yes. Well, this is pretty interesting because now we go to week six. And from there on, it goes running back, running back, running back, running back, running back, running back. Tight end, wide receiver, running back, running back. So after week six, there is this just divide of the flex position from all wide receiver to basically all running back. Uh, one week there was a wide receiver and one week there was a tight end. But one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of the next 10 weeks was all running back. And what I think happens is kind of in a way that why zero RB works is that injuries happen. You get a lot of uh, you know people that uh, are ruled out later in the week. And then all of a sudden this just value opens up at the running back position more than basically any other position. And so I think all that value that opens up, there is usually one incredibly strong value at the running back position, which allows you to play three running backs. Uh, and that's why I think the running back typically was winning the flex later in the year. But I think early in the year, 
for the most part, everybody's healthy. I mean, you might have the situation with Kareem Hunt, unfortunately, for, uh, you know, Spencer Wary's out for the year, but Hunt isn't in the Millionaire Maker slate. Now, of course, he's on the Thursday slate, so uh, there could be an, a running back winning the flex on the Thursday slate, but I think by and large in the first week of the season, we're going to want to play the wide receiver position. So that was kind of just a little bit of, you know, a trend I noticed there in the, the millionaire maker. And and so I think that's going to be something in these really large field contests. I'm going to try to do is the wide receiver position. I mean, you can catch five balls for 150 yards and two touchdowns and, 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 you know, your name could be somebody like John Brown or something and, and, and that could happen. And so that's why I think the flex very often goes to the wide receiver early in the year. The running back value hasn't quite opened up and the high scores will really come from the wide receiver position later on in the year, the running back value opens up. That's interesting. It's almost like in a, in a, in an environment where, um, I should say salaries are tight, uh, much like this first week with with DraftKings. Just kind of looking at the initial um, salary costs for many of the players, they seem to be very close to kind of what we should project for you know week one. Um, there weren't really a lot of um, type of things like maybe Darren McFadden kind of got by, or you would think maybe Darren McFadden would get by at a really cheap price if they kind of put out the price there before Ezekiel received a suspension. There's really nothing like that, um, at least for this first week. So. I wonder if that kind of plays into the idea that um, if we're looking for value in a week to where there's not really a essentially an injury occurred to where someone who was previously very low owned due to low volume um, now is walks into a high volume opportunity. Um, we essentially just kind of stick with it almost kind of like a, a zero wide receiver approach that we traditionally like to take at Rotoviz. Yeah, Sorry, zero, zero RB, excuse yeah, me. Yeah, I follow you. So exactly. And, and so when... When ADP is pretty close or when pricing is pretty close, you're right. I mean, then at this, you kind of take the zero RB approach and that you want to fill that flex with wide receiver. I mean, let's think about it. Like, who's somebody who's like around 42, 4,300, like, like Amir Abdullah, for example, and then maybe like either a John Brown or Marvin Jones or something like that. It's much more likely Marvin Jones or John Brown's going to go for 25, 30 points than Amir Abdullah, I think, in week one. Uh, it's kind of funny that those, all three of those are playing in the same game, but you, you get the point that they're all in the same price range, and the wide receiver definitely has more upside in that same price range right now in week one, and it's really tough to come by running back value in week one. You even mentioned that DeMarco, or sorry, the uh, Darren McFadden DraftKings priced him up in anticipation of that uh, suspension. So he's 6,100. FanDuel, he's still pretty low there. So he's a definitely there's value there on FanDuel for, for week one for, you know, Darren, um, yeah, Darren McFadden. I keep doing almost saying DeMarco Murray because both of them <laughs> used to, you know, play for Dallas in back to back years. So, uh, but uh, yeah, at this point, I think wide receiver, I, unless there's some crazy running back value that opens up, I'm probably going to be playing wide receiver in probably 80, 90% of my flex positions for, for the week one millionaire maker. Interesting, interesting. How about quarterback ownership percentage and and salary costs, anything like that? Do you notice any trends in the Millie Maker? Yeah, uh, so I was looking at the the quarterback ownership percentages you mentioned, and I think one thing that was really cool was at least in the first like four or five weeks, uh, it was five very good quarterbacks. All under 10% owned were the winning Millionaire Maker lineups. So, you know, guys like Aaron Rodgers under 10% owned. Drew Brees under 10% owned. Matt Ryan under 10% owned. Uh, Matt Stafford one week under 10% owned. All these guys are, are you know, mid to upper echelon quarterbacks. You're not having somebody like, uh, you know, Joe Flacco winning the Millionaire Maker, at least early on. He did later in the year. But uh, by and large, it was really elite quarterbacks under 10% owned. And in fact... Even including the Joe Flacco week there, uh, there of the whole season, all the millionaire maker slates, all the winning lineups, only twice was the quarterback above 10% owned. And both of those times, it was Kirk Cousins. So that was kind of interesting. But all the other 14 winning lineups, the quarterback was under 10% owned. And most of them, it was actually, you know, a mid, like a 6,000 or above quarterback. So not dipping down in that 5,000 range. No Carson Wentz winning the millionaire makers. So uh, I know he's probably going to be a popular punt play this week. But uh, I'm not going to be playing Carson Wentz simply because of those trends. Yeah, and you got there's a concern simply about a ceiling. Is you know while it's nice to get a 5300 quarterback on DraftKings, it's you still have to be able to put up a decent amount of points, even though you are getting them at a cheap price. So can't necessarily just kind of throw anyone in there. Exactly. Uh, yep. But yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say exactly. It's all about ceiling, and and a lot of these guys in the 5K range. I mean, unless they're like Colin Kaepernick, but 
who's not playing right now. Unless they're like him, you're not really getting a quarterback that has a huge ceiling. Uh, even you know Tyrod Taylor was not in a winning millionaire maker lineup last year or anything like that. So if really the big ceilings are going to come from those guys that pass a lot and uh, tend to be in the expensive range. Your you know your Matt Stafford's, your your Kirk Cousins, uh, Matt Ryan's, all that. Uh, you know even some of those mid tier guys, Philip Rivers for example, he can do it as well. So that's where I'm going to be looking. That range and up will be most of the time where I'm looking to play my quarterback. Fantastic stuff, Nick. How about defenses? Now, DST is kind of one of those positions to where, at least um, last year in my experience, it, it kind of became one of those positions that I really didn't care all that much about, with the exception of targeting offenses that maybe just had a decent chance of a turnover for a pick six. Um, it, but there's always seems to be that one defense kind of at the top of the range that is tempting. You know, you have your situations like uh, the Denver Broncos are taking on the Jacksonville Jaguars in one week. Everyone spots it. It's a high-priced defense, and a lot of people go after it even in big tournaments. Um, it, it, in terms of those types of plays, what did you find in your in your research? Yeah, so early on in the season, um, defense wasn't even really important at all to winning the Millionaire Maker. Four of the first five lineups had a, a winning Millionaire Maker score of eight points or less in their defense position. Uh, four of them were, or three of the four were five points or less. So, I mean, that's just like, why even pay for an expensive defense that's going to get you five points? I'm just going to pay down at the defensive position. It's such a highly variable, highly unpredictable position. I mean, you mentioned targeting offenses that can throw a pick six. That's a great strategy. And, that, and part of that can be uh, even in high scoring games. You can have high scoring games, but you know maybe somebody like Eli Manning, who's had some interception issues in his career at times, targeting him in a high scoring game might be an interesting strategy or, or things like that. So uh defense and ownership percentage do correlate a lot. I mean, obviously there's the spread, which really correlates with uh, with defensive ownership percentage. If you got a 7, 8, 10-point spread, the favored team is very much going to be a high-owned defense. And also the total of high-scoring games will tend to have less ownership percentage as well. So I like targeting high-scoring games that might be close, and the reason is, if you got one team that you know continually needs to pass to stay in the game, uh, but is still keeping up, like if the game gets out of hand 20, 30 points, then you're not you know, the other team's probably going to give up on throwing in the fourth quarter and things like that. They're just going to try to put in the subs and run the clock out, and get out of town. But in a high-scoring, close game, you'll find a lot of pick sixes, a lot of sacks. Uh, sack strip fumble sometimes might even be returned for a touchdown uh, just situations where you want to get that quarterback under a lot of pressure be passing a lot because it gives you many more opportunities for sacks and pick sixes and that's going to be a great way to get points with your defense so it's a it's a highly variable position so when something is really extremely highly variable uh, it, it, it makes a lot of sense to fade ownership percentages. And this is something I do in, in NASCAR. I know a lot of you aren't here tuning in for NASCAR, but there's a, a type of race in NASCAR called a restrictor plate race, and basically everybody crashes. So if everybody's going to crash, why are you going to play the guy who's 80% owned when you can play the guy who's 20% owned? It's kind of dumbing it down a little bit, but uh, you get the idea. Defense, if if you don't know who's going to score the, the defensive special teams touchdown, why are you playing the team that's 30% owned when the team that's 1% owned might get two defensive touchdowns or one kick return and one defensive touchdown? doesn't make sense. So really, especially early on, when we think we know more than we do, uh, I really want to be fading ownership percentages in DFA, in you know in week one and million makers and, and things like that, especially early on because we don't know as much. Now, as the season goes on, I thought it was interesting. The Eagles were the millionaire maker winning lineup twice. The Broncos were twice. The Cardinals were three times. So I think as you go into the season a little further, you start to identify some of those teams that have won the millionaire maker before. I think the Vikings won twice. There are a lot of repeat teams, but early on, we really don't know who's going to be the, the best defenses. And so I like fading ownership percentage. That's interesting. The, the the last point you mentioned about uh, specifically the Eagles DST there for it, it kind of seems like the last couple of years, specifically the special teams unit on the Philadelphia Eagles was quite good at scoring special teams touchdowns. And I could never put my finger exactly on why, but they always seem to be that team that was a significant threat for, you know, a punt return, kick return touchdown. Um, and, and maybe, you know, kind of like you said, Trying to identify that in, you know, the early weeks of the season is probably not something you want to do. Just take the easy, you know, the easy cheap salary, the easy differentiation and ownership percentage, and then maybe consider those guys later on in the season. 
Absolutely. I think that's that's you know what you want to do in a in a highly variable position. And I wanted to real quick get your thoughts if you had any thoughts on the running back position. I know I have one thought, but I want to really quick talk about the running back position. But what have you really done to kind of study the running back position maybe in uh, tournaments or even in cash games? Cash games, I tend to be very vanilla. I go I essentially um, take the easiest quarterback points that I tend to get um, and allow myself to stack as um, the expected high volume running backs, you know, and it kind of worked out very, very well. You know, oftentimes I would put up very easy cash, you know, very nice cash game uh, point totals last season with David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell. Um, While they became expensive, while they were, of course, highly owned, but it doesn't really matter because it's a cash game. Um, you essentially just target the easy volume and allow everything else to kind of become secondary because you could always seem you always seem to be able to find value with uh, the quarterback position. There's always a guy who's you know all they have to do is throw two, being the you know, threat to throw two to three touchdowns, and they're kind of you know enough points, you know, three x at fifty three hundred. It's not really that hard to reach fifteen points. Um, and, and yeah, instead of going for Unless there was a very clear running back opportunity, of course, to where, you know, for example, like a Thomas Rawls a year or two ago to where he's going to step in, he's severely underpriced, and you could just kind of, you know, throw him in there and essentially build the rest of your lineup around him. Um, I would just go target the easy volume and kind of build the rest of my lineup from after I select the running back position. Yeah, I think that's actually kind of where I'm I'm at with you. And even in GPPs, I'm just targeting volume a lot because uh, so many times people target the chalk. The, and and yes, the the running back position you can win with chalk certainly. And I actually did a breakdown of this. I know other sites have done a breakdown of this as well, but I broke it down a little further into detail. The weeks that uh, only two running backs were in the winning lineup, so obviously the flex was either a wide receiver or a tight end. Uh, the first running back position was in the low 20% owned, and the second running back position on average was in the in the mid-teens. But then when you went to three running backs, so if the running back was the winning lineup in the flex, uh, it was a little bit different. The first running back position was like around 34% owned on average. So it's okay to be chalky there with your first running back, uh, especially if a running back's going to win the flex. The second one was in the upper teens, and the third one was down around 10%. So uh, it, it definitely makes a difference whether there's going to be three running backs or two running backs. And, and again, this, as, as we're talking about, as value opens up, becomes a lot easier to play running backs. And they also become more chalky. They tend to be in the winning lineups more. So I think the trends that I explained there make sense. Now, I've seen people say, well, just play a chalky running back and, and you know, you don't, you don't have to be contrarian at the running back position, things like that. Certainly, even in a two running back situation, that's possible. But definitely, it was a lot lower ownership percentage, that first running back uh, versus the first running back in a three, three, you know, three running back lineup situation there. So I'm not going to worry too much about ownership percentage at the running back position. I'm not going to worry if I'm too chalky, if I'm too not chalky. I'm just going to play what I think makes the most sense with my lineup. And really, what I'm going to be doing is focusing a lot on game scripts, a lot on correlation with my running back position because those things I think give you more upside uh, I mean I just want upside anyway and I'm not gonna worry about ownership percentage then then you know I'll just play whatever I think is best if it's two contrarian ones that's fine my lineup's different if it's two chalky ones that's fine I'll differentiate elsewhere but the idea is uh, I'm not worried about ownership percentage at the running back position I might worry about it a little more at the wide receiver at the defense maybe even tight end where, where you can get some you know quarterback where you can get some differentiation in other places not gonna worry about ownership at running back but don't just go chalky because you've seen sites say that you have to go chalky you know just do it do what you think gives you the most upside at the running back position fantastic stuff nick all right let's move on but uh you you know the fantasy football world you know much like the sports world it's one that everyone's really looking for advice you know you're out on twitter it's immediately if you want to find a question on a sunday uh when you are a fantasy analyst all you got to do is throw a quick tweet out there and you have about 100 coming your way for whatever you really want to find. Um, typically people, you know, they want to say, who who are you going to play this week? Uh, which side should I bet on? So on, so forth. But for some reason, you know, people never ask where they should be betting. As it, It's just as important as really who you're betting on. So that's why I always tell people to go to mybookie.ag. MyBookie has been in this business for years and their reputation is rock solid. They do 100% cash bonuses, so off the bat, you're making money for doing nothing. And they have the fastest payouts as fast as two business days. Listen to us, you do the research, you put forth the effort, and you know who's going to win, right? So why don't you lay down some cash and win big today? I used MyBookie last weekend on the big McGregor-Mayweather fight, won some money 
off that, and the experience couldn't have been any easier. That's why I'm urging all of you out there to make your way to my bookie. You win, they pay. They have in-game live betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business, and an all-new fantasy mobile site, my favorite part, that makes wagering on-the-go a breeze. Join now, and my bookie will match your deposit with up to a 100% bonus. Just use promo code ROTONFL to activate the offer. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, Nick, let's move on to the next uh, topic of the day. Uh, price point discussion. So we're going to go a lot more in-depth next week uh, when it comes to you know who we're going to be targeting at certain positions. But for this week, since we kind of have a little bit of time, I wanted to take more of a kind of a bird's eye view of the you know the week one in general and kind of how we're just going to approach each position uh, by just cost, by just salary cost. Um, so yeah, let, let's let's go down the list here. Let's start with the quarterback position. Um, kind of just you know from the initial look, um, were there any guys or any quarterback salary range that you thought looked particularly interesting, uh, potentially for GPPs? Yeah, I definitely think there's some interesting plays, and I think there, there's a couple interesting plays, both from being too high and being too low. Uh, I'm wondering if people are going to get off of Cam Newton at $7,100 because there is some air quote value at the quarterback position this week. Uh, he's probably probably one of the the worst priced people, but if that means his ownership percentage is going to be under 10%, I like it. And uh, you know, I'm going to try to take shots of Cam Newton if he's going to be under 10% owned. It just goes in that philosophy of a high upside quarterback. He can do it with his arms. He can do it with his legs. He's got a lot of weapons on that team, especially now with McCaffrey. I'll be interested to see how they work McCaffrey into the offense if they throw to him a lot out of the backfield. Uh, and if Cam always can you know, score a rushing touchdown, he's got upside there. So I like playing him if he's going to be under 10% owned because that $7,100 price tag, I think you might see people like Aaron Rodgers or Matt Ryan or Russell Wilson, uh, who are all one $200 cheaper than Marcus Mariota, $300 cheaper, Derek Carr, $400 cheaper. I mean, all of these guys, I think, are very playable this week in GPPs, and I think that could keep Cam Newton's ownership percentage down. So in terms of price point, I think I don't like his price point, but I think that makes me like it because I think his ownership percentage be down. He still has a ceiling, uh, you know, as, as he always does. So I, that was the first thing that stood out to me. And the second one in terms of just like a value, I think is that uh, Detroit Arizona game. And I don't really want to get into matchups. I just want to talk price points, but I think both Matthew Stafford and Carson Palmer are in play this week in a dome. Uh, Matthew Stafford, of course, was in the winning millionaire maker lineup in a dome last year, once or twice. Uh, Carson Palmer has shown in the past he can do it. Last year wasn't such a great year for him, but if this could be a bounce back year for him, I like that price as well. So those are kind of the three uh, that I'm, you know, that are 6,000 and up that I'm really targeting in my millionaire maker lineups this week. I'm definitely still targeting some of the other guys I mentioned that are a little bit cheaper than Cam Newton. I just wanted to point out Cam Newton specifically because of the ownership percentage trends we've talked about in the past. Yeah, I, I love those guys. Um, kind of like you mentioned, I think Cam Newton, that it's almost like a pay-up-to-be-contrarian type idea with taking him at 7100 because I think a lot of people are just going to go for $200 more if they want to pay up a quarterback with Ben Roethlisberger um, taking on Cleveland. I think that's going to be kind of a, a high-end play or at least a high-ownership percentage play for the week. Um, I think a lot of people go after Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson. Um, that should be a... a at least on paper, should be a high-scoring game. I think uh, it'll lead a lot of people to grabbing both of them, um, it, especially kind of with you know drafts still here um, and people really looking at redraft and kind of still have those thoughts in their head. All right, let's move on to the running back position. So, of course, we're going to have the big names up there at the top, Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson, and two pretty nice matchups. Uh, but, yeah, you're not getting either one for a really cheap um, 9,800 and 9,400. Um, there are some, some other decent plays here. Um, what are your thoughts? How do, how do you think you're going to be approaching this position? Just kind of taking a bird's eye view at the salaries. Yeah, I mean, just the bird's eye view at the salaries. I think just because there's some value at the other positions, I don't mind paying up for a David Johnson or a Le'Veon Bell, depending on how you want to go. I think... Both of them will certainly be chalky, and that's again, that's totally fine. I'm not worried about ownership percentages, um, but I also think there is value at the running back position. I actually think there's a decent amount of value at the running back position, so you don't necessarily have to, uh, um, you know, play too uh, an expensive running back. You could play two medium or a medium and a low price running back, and then pay up at wide receiver and tight end or something like that. Pay up at quarterback. It all depends on how you want to approach the slate. There's so many ways to approach the slate, but. 
Uh, I think there is some running back value. My favorite running back value right now is Jaquiz Rogers. And, and this guy is 4,900. He's going to be starting for Tampa Bay. And if we look at the five games where he was the, you know, basically the starter and played the bulk of the workload for Tampa Bay last year, his first game he had starting for them, he had 36 opportunities, 35 touches, and then 27, 20, uh, and then 17 and 18. So at minimum, you're getting 17, 18 touches probably from Jaquiz Rogers at $5,000. If you think you can get more than a point per touch, he has a chance to be in the winning lineup for sure. So Jaquiz Rogers, I think, is a, a tremendous value of 4,900. But even more tremendous value would be somebody like Carlos Hyde or maybe even somebody like Amir Abdullah, who I mentioned earlier, down there in that uh, lower price range. So Carlos Hyde, 4,600. I think he's going to be the workhorse back there at San Francisco, uh, especially early on. He, you know, he looked like the workhorse in the preseason. And Amir Abdullah, I think, will be not necessarily the workhorse. Obviously, Theo Riddick is still going to get a ton of uh, passing work. Load, but I do think Amir Abdul will get some targets and should get the bulk of the rushing work there. So um, both of those in terms of just pure opportunity, and which is what we're talking about. I want to, again, ignore matchup, but just pure opportunity. I love those three, Jaquiz, Carlos Hyde, and Amir Abdullah. Yeah, I think I'm with you here. I'm kind of looking at the polar ends um, at the position. I'm Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson are definitely going to be in some GPP lineups for me as, you know, their this point ceiling is just... Um, it's really unmatched currently at the position with all the other options. Um, there are some kind of guys that may be considering like a DeMarco Murray taking on, um, taking on Oakland for 7,400. Like, eh, Devontae Freeman's at Chicago. Chicago's uh, rush defense has gotten pretty good. Um, they're at 7,000. Todd Gurley taking on the Indianapolis Colts. I don't think the upside there is really there. Given the expected ownership percentage, I think everyone's going to be on Todd Gurley. So, so yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson, um, Jonathan Stewart, I think is a fine play, uh, taking on the San Francisco 49ers at 5,000. Um, I think that could be a, a fantastic matchup for him if they're able to, to get a lead early and he, he gets a couple of touchdowns for you. Carlos Hyde, like you mentioned, and Amir Abdullah, it, it's just, it's just really volume plays. The potential volume they could see in their respective matchups, um, at their, you know, 4,600 to 4,300. Um, it's just very easy volume, you know, relative to the point you, or the, the salary you have to spend on them. So, so yeah, I think that's, a, that's the direction I'm going. All right. Let's move on to the, the wide receiver position. Um, yeah. So we got a lot of options. I saw a lot of plays at the wide receiver position in it, uh, that I really like. Um, were you able to kind of nail down a couple of them or a specific salary range that you thought was going to be your, you know, bread and butter for this week? Yeah, and again, I just I don't want to focus on matchups. I just want to focus on volume here. We'll talk matchups next week. But I think in terms of volume, there's uh, a couple names that really stand out to me. The first is Marvin Jones, 4,100, relative to that price there on DraftKings. That's just way too low for Marvin Jones. We saw what he did at the beginning of the year last year. He exploded a little bit in the preseason already. He saw the most targets in week three, which is kind of the dress rehearsal week for uh, preseason. So Marvin Jones, I think, is going to get a lot of volume, um, you know, independent of the matchup. I think it's a good upside play there. Even dropping down further, Kendall Wright. Uh, I kind of hate saying this because it's Kendall Wright, but he is 3,200. <laughs> and after Cam, uh, Cam Meredith went down with his injury, there are 18 offensive snaps. Kendall Wright played 12 of them. Deontay Thompson actually played 18. So that's another interesting name you could throw out there. But Kendall Wright played 12. And uh, so I think both of those names are, are on uh, tap to, to potentially be plays with Kendall Wright there. And then uh, Deontay Thompson, who, you know, I think is so far down there that uh, I think he's min price. Yeah, $3,000 on DraftKings that it's, it's, I don't think it's a great play because I don't know how much volume he's going to get, et cetera, et cetera. And, and we can talk matchups, but um, they should trail to Atlanta, which should also increase the pass volume as well. So just in terms of volume, those are two names I've been looking at. Uh, if we want to go up a little bit in price, I think there's a name that I really, really like, and that's Amari Cooper at 7,200. I think he's just a discount to some other guys that are ahead of him who probably will see the same volume. Uh, Jordy Nelson, uh, AJ Green, for example. I think Kamari Cooper is really primed for a third-year breakout. Uh, what he really needs to do is improve his short passing game. If he's so elite you know, in the mid-range and downfield, and you can you can check all this out on Josh Hermsmeyer's air yards, but uh, if he can improve his short-range passing and, and also increase that volume there, he's a guy who could just explode. I love Amari Cooper. Uh, I'm going to be all over him in week one just because I think the volume relative to his price and his talent 
is is just is mismatched when you compare him to AJ Green at eight thousand, uh, Jordy Nelson seventy six hundred. I, I want Amari Cooper at seventy two hundred for my volume. Yeah, there's really kind of options all the way down, whether it goes from you know top to bottom, starting with Antonio Brown, Julio Jones up there at the top. Uh, beginning at 8,800, 8,500, I think it's a pretty decent value relative to the expected volume you, you know you should expect from those two guys. Um, new offense in Atlanta with a lot of kind of meh options. I can see them definitely feeding him. Um, even in the middle there with you know Michael Crabtree, Larry Fitzgerald, Pierre Garçon, Crabtree at 6,000 taking on Tennessee. Uh, Fitzgerald at Detroit, 5,900 as a wide receiver one. Could see a, a ton of volume there. And Pierre Garçon versus Carolina, you know, he's a, he's a guy that wrote of his loves because we expect the San Francisco team to have to throw a lot. Um, and he's going to be their wide receiver one without a lot of other options. So the volume he could see for 5,300 um, against a Carolina secondary that maybe isn't all that great um, could be a fantastic play. And then, you know, like I said, I, I put Kendall Wright down for 3,200 because I don't like him, but... I mean, for a team that's going to have to throw to try to keep up with this Falcons team, um, we expect him to be the wide receiver one as of this moment. So taking a shot at him at such a cheap price, you know, why not? Yeah, exactly. And I, I wanted to definitely wanted to mention Garcon and Fitz, Fitzgerald as well. I didn't, but uh, definitely two names that I have circled. My big concern with Fitzgerald will probably be, I think he's going to be a little too highly owned. I would love to leverage off of him with his teammate there, John Brown, who has just insane upside and... Uh, you know, I think I think that is a, a play. I'll probably leverage off of Larry Fitzgerald. Don't get me wrong. I'll still have some Larry Fitzgerald in my Carson Palmer stacks. And you know, I'll double stack and things like that. But I think I'm going to want to have more John Brown than Larry Fitzgerald in such a massive, massive tournament. Now, if you're playing a smaller slate, a smaller tournament, one of the things I kind of you know talked about at the beginning of the show that I'm doing is, is trying to target my, my spots better. And one of the situations I was best last year was two game slates or three game slates because uh, if you can identify the chalk in there, it's it's so much easier to pivot off the chalk in a two or three game slate because uh, as soon as the chalk doesn't hit and everybody's on them, there's only a limited other number of people that can hit. And I found, you know, I almost won a couple qualifiers last year in short slates. I finished third and sixth in the very first two slate qualifier of the year. Uh, I basically had anybody scored other than um, Sean Drone that one touchdown. Had it been Blaine Gabbert, had it been uh, Quentin Patton, had it been, um, you know, any basically any San Francisco 49er, uh, even Selleck, even Vance McDonald, any of them. Other than Sean Drone, uh, even Carlos Hyde, I would have won the qualifier. It just happened to be Drone, and he was the only contrarian play I wasn't on, basically. But, uh, yeah, the, I think the short slates that especially I think John Brown is going to be a guy I really want to target because in shorter slates, especially also in higher stakes, people get a little more chalky, and um, it, it actually pays to be even more contrarian there, even though it is a short slate, even though uh, – it, it, I, I, sorry, let me take that back. It doesn't pay to be more contrarian when there is a higher stakes tournament or things like that but people do play more chalky so if something does hit it's a little bit easier to move up the leaderboard um but but by and large it becomes more like a cash game because let's say it's a 10 person tournament and the top three cash right then you only need to beat seven people so you don't need to go pulling these one percent half percent plays out but you still want to be a little bit different uh, because, uh, you know, people do tend to get pretty chalky in the higher stakes. So uh, it, it makes sense. I mean, those are the best plays. But um, I think John Brown is a guy I'm going to love leveraging Larry off of Larry Fitzgerald in week one, pretty much in all formats, um, short slates, you know, high stakes, big GPPs, all of that. I think I think John Brown is just such a cool leverage play this week. But Larry Fitzgerald is a very, very good price for the volume he'll get as well. Great stuff. Let's move on to the tight end position. It, it's kind of a wasteland. No, I shouldn't say wasteland. It's going to be a, a tough week because we have a lot of the top tight ends kind of sprinkled out the other matchups. You know, we have Gronkowski and Kelsey playing on Thursday. So you got to play that slate. They're not going to be on the main um, to get exposure to them. Um, and then we have, I believe, San, it's San Diego-Denver. So we're going to be missing on Antonio Gates, Hunter Henry. Um, along with the Saints and the Vikings playing on Monday. Um, so we're not going to have Kyle Rudolph. So essentially, we are left with a lot of kind of mid-range guys and a lot of cheap guys. So, you know, kind of looking at the options, did you find a range that you particularly liked for the price point? Yeah, I'll throw out a couple names. Zach Ertz is the the obvious chalk price point to his volume, especially how he ended last year. I mean, it was just bananas. He was in the winning millionaire maker lineup twice, I think it was, and uh, just just absolutely was was 
a huge, huge part of that offense. 16 targets in the last game of the season, 13 in week 14. Uh, so like if we look at like week 13 on, it was 15, 13, 8. Then there was the two against the Giants, and then 16. So Zach Ertz, volume uh, is going to be huge relative to his price. So I think he's going to be a player that I don't mind, even though he's going to be chalky, I'll probably be all over just because I think it's just a huge, huge mismatch there in price versus volume and talent there. Another one I think will will get the volume and who has the talent and who's mispriced a little bit for me is Tyler Eifert, 4,600. I know he's dealing with some knee tendonitis. I think that'll probably work itself out. It doesn't doesn't sound too serious there, but uh, uh, Tyler Eifert is a guy that I think is is just as talented as Jimmy Graham, even Jordan Reed, you know, Greg Olson, all priced ahead of him. I think he's right up there when he's healthy and he's on. He's got multi-touchdown upside, and he comes at a more than a $500 discount, well, $500 discount to Jimmy Graham on DraftKings, $1,300 to Jordan Reed, and uh, $1,600 to Greg Olson, and, and he should get pretty similar volume. I know they've got A.J. Green there. I know they got John Ross. I know they got Tyler Boyd. I know they got Brandon LaFell, Gio Bernard, Joe Mixon. Oh, they've got a lot of weapons, but you give me a guy who has touchdown opportunity like Tyler Eifert, 4600 oh yeah definitely yeah yeah especially at a position that you know the volume typically isn't uh as much there you know outside of the, the top guys at the tight end position so when you have multi-touchdown upside it's something that you really want to take advantage of a, a guy you know before we move on uh, a guy i want to mention it kind of in that same range i think might be a decent pivot off of uh zach Ertz, jared cook at you know at tennessee 3300 you know in one of the uh episodes that we did with the Oakland Raiders beat, he mentioned that Jared Cook had been seeing a lot of targets. You know, with the the fact that, you know, Seth Roberts, even though he was signed today, I think they kind of know what they have at him, and he's not uh, a fantastic option. They really need a number three to come in and possibly take a little bit of the pressure off of Amari Cooper and Michael Crabtree. And he had mentioned he could um, potentially see over a hundred targets this season for Jared Cook, which could be fantastic. You know, Jared Cook back in last year in Green Bay, um, he had his moments to where he, you know, he definitely has all the athletic tools. It's just, can he put it together on the football field? And we saw flashes last year. So now he's with another decent passing offense and a game that could shoot out. Um, 3,300, I think that could be a, a great play. Yeah, I like it because uh, I think, you know, Jared Cook is somebody that will probably go overlooked in that Oakland-Tennessee game and, uh, you know, high-scoring, high-total game. And we have talked about Crabtree. We have talked about Amari. Jared Cook, maybe maybe he will get the volume. If he's going to get 100 targets, then he's certainly he's a value at 3,300. He's somebody I might have to add to my list here. Um, But uh, another thing I wanted to say about the tight end position, which we didn't get a chance to talk about at the top of the show, is... The One of the things I really look for in the tight end position is the team total. And I did some work for Roto Academy a year or two back where I looked at all the trends at a lot of different positions. The one trend that sticks out my in my mind more than anything is team total correlating with upside for the tight end position. So what I mean by that, I looked at trends where uh, what is the probability a tight end scores a touchdown given the team total? What is the probability a tight end scores two touchdowns given the team total? What is the probability for DraftKings that a tight end goes over 100 yards given the team total? And all three of those things were highly correlated with team totals and really ramped up as you got to high team totals. So, uh, you know, Atlanta right now is the highest team total on the slate, Austin Hooper. I don't love that play. Uh, and it's too bad Vance McDonald uh, hasn't been with the you know the Steelers and doesn't count for this slate, the Millionaire Maker slate, because they've got the next highest team total. Uh, but certainly, um, you know, Green Bay, Martellus Bennett, I wonder what kind of volume he could see there as well, because we've talked about Jordy Nelson. Randall Cobb's a bit of a value. Devontae Adams, of course, will be in some stacked lineups. But I wonder if Martellus Bennett, with a third highest team total on the slate, doesn't have some pretty significant upside because of that team total and because of who he is and what quarterback he's playing with. Fantastic stuff. All right, let's move on. Wrap this segment up with the defensive position. Um, you know, kind of like we mentioned, it's a position of high variance. Not going to be one that we tend to spend up at. We're going to take those salary dollars and kind of distribute them at the other skill positions. But there are some, there's some guys up at the top, at least that might not be completely chalky. Might, um, 
you know, you could probably differentiate with. Hey, do you happen to fall upon a range that you really like for this slate yet? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely paying down. I think I, Buffalo, I think, is going to be the chalk this week at 3,900. And, and mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that, but what if they're, you know, what if Josh McCown isn't actually that bad? And he wasn't terrible at like Cleveland and things like that. So um, I don't necessarily think that Buffalo is the best play on the slate. I think Houston will be pretty chalky. I think Pittsburgh, uh, Atlanta will be pretty chalky. All those guys are higher priced, but I think there's some games that could shoot out with some cheaper defenses, and I want those those shootout games because that'll be a lot of passing, and I want to try to get the team that's ahead. So um, I think Oakland. I know a lot of people are on Tennessee. There's been some reverse line movement in the direction of Tennessee. You know, it, 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 a lot of bets coming on Oakland, but still making it more favorable bet on Oakland. I don't care. I very strongly feel that Oakland will win this game. Um, I, I think. They match up very well with Tennessee. We'll talk about it next week, but they're priced down at 2,500. Highest games, highest scoring game of the slate. All they need to do is, you know, one turnover for a touchdown. Uh, Mariota will throw a lot. He, he's not a high interception quarterback, so that's the one thing that makes me a little hesitant there. But they did put up 11 points against Tennessee last year in their meeting, which at 2,500 will be good enough for a millionaire maker lineup. Uh, we saw, again, first week of the year, defense scored five points and won the millionaire maker. So um, I certainly like paying down this week. Oakland is what I'm looking at. I'm looking at both Dallas and New York Giants. Uh, 2,600 for New York Giants and Dallas at 2,900. Again, another game that could shoot out, I think, uh, Eli Manning certainly has multiple interception opportunities there, especially if Dallas is leading. Um, and, and so, you know, I think, I think those are two defenses I'll look at, but certainly, you know, the New York Giants are just a good defense and their price way down. And then Dallas could be leading against an Eli Manning team in a high scoring game. So those two I'll definitely look at. And I really like all three of those just because their price points are so good. And because I think they're probably not going to be, you know, insanely highly owned. I think they're going to be all three of them going to be under 5% and all three of them have upside to put up. I wouldn't say, you know, Buffalo, Houston, Atlanta upside to 15, 20 points. But if they put up 12 points at their price point, they also allow you to put in really expensive players into your lineup. So that's the direction, sorry, that's the direction I'm going at defense this week. Those are all great plays. It kind of plays that I, I landed on as well. I just want to throw one one more quick um, defense in there. I'm, I'm not sure how the ownership percentage is really going to play out on them, but the Bengals take on the Ravens. The Bengals at home for 3,100. I, 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 I got to look up some, do, do a little more research as to kind of what we should expect from them, but I'm hoping with, you know, the big other three, um, the Bills taking on the Jets, of course, the Texans taking on the Jaguars. And the Rams taking on the Colts. I'm wondering if there are enough bigger defensive matchups to where, and it's a lot more obvious to where people gravitate towards those, to where people forget about the Bengals defense and the nice matchup they have uh, against a at a you know at the max we're going to get a hurt Joe Flacco and at quarterback and potentially we might get um, gosh I can't remember his name right now uh, the backup Ravens for uh, the backup quarterback for the Ravens who's just been looking awful in training camp. So I think that's the one that I might find myself on if. Um, I can get about a low ownership yep, percentage. Yep, I like that call a lot there. Um, certainly the Bengals were a good defense last year, and I think anytime you can get a good defense low owned, who can put a lot of pressure on a quarterback, and especially if you're getting a backup quarterback, that's going to be a huge play. So I'm 100% with you there on on Cincinnati as well. All right, before we wrap everything up, Nick, we're just going to do a you know cover a quick segment on uh, draft type formats. So this is kind of something that I've just newly experienced. Um, you know, these essentially these. DFS type formats, but with snake draft um, kind of intermixed with instead of a traditional uh, DFS type format. Um, you can either do two person um, uh, snake draft, kind of like back and forth um, with five players. You can go all the way up to 12 participants, um, or you could do kind of a dream team type format type. Think typical GPP tournament, but without any salary. So you could essentially play whoever you want at any position. Um, make, you know, kind of AJ Green, Mike Evans, Kenny Julio Britt. Jones. Um, Kenny, <laughs> Kenny Britt, <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's pretty cool. Um, have you got a chance to check out um, the the draft type formats? And have you really noticed any strategy? Um, kind of this kind of came off from your initial uh, draft teams. Yeah, so I think the cool thing here is my favorite would be the multi person snake draft. I think you could probably get a pretty big edge there. Uh, I I think it's going to be 
just really all about player evaluation. It's almost going to be like a season-long league, except it's just going to be for one week, and you're just going to have to try to figure out who you like that maybe nobody else likes, and he'll fall a little further. You can get some value there. And I think it's just going to be one of those things that it's going to be a combination of almost like a GPP and a snake draft. So I think, you know, week one, let's say everybody's on player X, he's probably going to go pretty early in the snake draft. I think that's somebody you can just like pass up on and then take a leverage play off him, take his teammate much further down or something like that. So there's certainly going to be some strategy here. And I think it's going to depend on the payout structures, of course, head to head. I think it's a little, little more different. You want to just pick the best players, pick the chalkiest players as soon as you can in the head to head snake format. But I think in the multi-person, there can still be some GPP theory to this because you still want to place first. So I'm just going to be pushing for upside and, you know, really just trying to find all the upside plays I can. And I think the dream team format's so cool because as everybody knows, I'm going to be playing Kenny Britt and Eric Swope every week in my wide receiver and tight end. And in my two running back positions, I actually will just punt the two running back positions because I always go zero RB. And then at quarterback, of course, I'm going to play NC State's fine, great quarterback, not Mike Lennon, Russell Wilson. (laughs) Fantastic. Yeah, it's the thing that kind of interested me was not as much a head-to-head because I think kind of like you mentioned, it's just going to be a lot of chalk. When you go up to uh, 12 people, so that's really going to open the pool to 60 players are going to be chosen from the from the available positions. And kind of depend on how you adjust, where you go from there's you know, the three-man, six-man, 12-man. You really got to prioritize depending on the available player pool, and that really... That really changes um, your priorities to where if, you know, you only have, say there's only six guys and there's six quarterbacks available. Um, it's Even if you have to select your quarterback last, the six, you're probably not going to get a terrible option as to where if you're 12, um, the upside may be capped. But you also open up to the running back position to where um, you're going to have interesting kind of dilemmas. Are you going to go with, um, you know, the popular play of the week from a guy following an injury? Um, Say like a Leonard Fournette goes down and one of the, you know, Jacksonville Jaguar running back comes up and a lot of opportunity is available to him. Are you going to go with one of, you know, him early, even though he, you know, is still not a very good option or do you kind of still prioritize you know other positions that we're going to see a lot more volume it's very interesting it's something i'm you know kind of new to but something i'm i'm really want to get my hands on and get my feet wet with definitely i think we're gonna have to try to do like a head-to-head against each other at least for week one just just to kind of see how it goes so i'm looking forward to it yeah, I'll get I'll get Austin Safarian Jenkins. You got, you know, Eric Swoop and we'll we'll see who comes out on top. Exactly. I think it's going to be the perfect head-to-head format for us. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. All right, that'll do it for this edition of On the Daily. Be sure to check us out both on Twitter, give us a follow. You can find me at Heath K, and of course, you can find Nick at Rotodoc. Please remember to rate and review the Rotoviz Radio channel on iTunes. And that's it. So for Nick Giffen, I'm Heath Kruger. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast, powered by Rotoviz Radio. And special thanks to Randy E. Aguabo for the introduction. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the established Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email on the daily DFS at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at on the daily DFS. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.